Hey, y'all. It's great to see you. So uh, we hope what you hear today will encourage you and inspire you, but we also hope that it will grow you and motivate you as well. Podcasters, if you're out there, thank you for listening in wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We appreciate you for giving next a listen today. So we are um, finishing our series today on divine direction, coming from the book Divine Direction, Seven Decisions That Will Change Your Life by Craig Grishel. So, so far... In this series, we've heard about the role that small decisions play in helping us get the big impacts that we really want to see in our lives. Then we talked about start, how starting just one discipline can lead to a better story. Then we talked about stop, how stopping one thing that frustrates you can allow God to tell a better story through your life. We talked about stay and how staying, even in the middle of a storm, can sometimes be the most courageous act of faith. We talked about how going, even when we really want to stay, can be the very thing that opens the purpose of God in our lives. Then we talked about connect and how the right friend at the right time can make us into the right person. And then last week, we talked about trust and how trusting God and trusting that God is good, even whenever life isn't is one of the best decisions you can make and how sometimes we have to walk through doubt before we can get to faith. And the faith that you need to tell a better story often comes by walking through doubt. So that's where we've been over the last eight weeks or so. And today we're wrapping up with this series with what is actually chapter five in the book. And I saved this one for last because this chapter is called Serve. Now, it's been our goal this year to present you with this idea uh, that's kind of been our theme and our focus this year to serve. We want you to find a place where you can impact the kingdom of God by serving others through the way that God designed you. And uh, we're going to wrap up this series by going back to our theme for the year. Now, to, to get to this today, I want to tell you guys a personal story about a time whenever I was pretty self-serving. Not one of my finest moments for a lot of reasons. Then we'll drill down and look at a man from the New Testament named Jesus, who was a pretty good example of service, and see what he had to say about it. And before we're done today, hopefully we'll get your brains thinking about your personal and particular role as a servant in the body of Christ. So as always, I encourage you to take some notes because Jesus likes it when you take notes, and you never know, you just might write down one thing today that will change your life for the better. So before we get into this today, let's look at a few scriptures. A little bit lengthy scripture reading today, but let's go to Matthew 23, 11, real short, and then Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 in a couple of different translations. But in Matthew 23 and 11, the King James Version, Jesus said, because it's in red letters, right? But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, we'll read from the New Living Translation, and then we'll look at it again in the message. This is what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 12. He said, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. 
in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And if your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility, responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. Now, I love this same passage in the message. Let's go there. The message translation says this. It says, the body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body, but as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, it wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all of these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. All right. Um, before I launch into this story, I want to uh, point your attention to something that's in the kitchen. There are some boxed lunches with some leftover food from the reception yesterday that has some chicken pasta and some salad and green beans and a roll. And if you feel so inclined to take one with you before you leave today, we would appreciate you doing so. So um, confession time, and I want to go ahead and get this out of the way. And I assure you, it's even worse than it really than than I make it sound. But serving others does not come naturally to me. I am a fairly self-centered person, and it's not something I'm proud of, y'all. I mean, I'm working on it, and I'm trying to get better. But I've got a long way to go, and I'm going to tell y'all how bad it is. Sometimes I don't want to serve others especially certain people, and especially in certain ways. I just don't, I don't want to do it, Courtney. I don't want to serve him. But I make myself do it. I'm telling y'all, y'all don't know how bad it is. But I make myself do it because I'm supposed to be like Jesus. And when I do, I will, y'all don't know how bad it is. When I do, I will pat myself on the back. And I will say, look at you, Coop. Look at you. Serving people, doing something you don't want to do so you can be. You are so much like Jesus right now. Pin the gold star upon your chest. You should be so proud of yourself. And anytime I get proud of myself for serving in some capacity, all I need to do to come back to reality is to remember my friend Chris Garrett. Chris was my best friend throughout grade school. We became best friends in first grade whenever I took up for him because a girl in the class was picking on him and saying mean things to him. And we remained best friends until after we graduated. We looked out for each other. In ninth grade, 
when I didn't want to fight David Tomplay over a tennis ball because I didn't want to get suspended and beat up, um, Chris fought David Tomplay for me and got a black eye. And whenever Chris broke both of, the, both of his wrists trying to do a flip off of the edge of his house, I carried his books and helped him get his homework done. We got into so much trouble together. Nine times out of ten, if one of us was grounded or doing community service, the other one was also grounded and doing community service for the same thing. We did dumb stuff. I mean, just dumb stuff. But one of the dumbest things we did was during the Christmas break of my junior year in high school, the Friday that we got out for those two weeks, we decided that we wanted to put together a scavenger hunt. So all of the guys formed teams of three or four, and each team paid an entry fee, and the team that collected the most items on the list would win the pot. The items on the list were generally unwholesome. Mailboxes with certain sequences of numbers in them, various road signs. You don't realize how high up on a pole an interstate speed limit sign is until you climb the pole with a ratchet and socket and try to take one down. Those things are really up there. Pictures with certain types of people in certain types of places where young boys should not be, no matter what the time of day is, but especially at night. Y'all get the idea. But one of the items on the list was, uh, since it was close to Christmas time, was a light-up Santa Claus. And we knew exactly which house to go to. I could take you to that house right now. So we drove to the house, and my friend Chris hopped the fence, and it was very dark. But apparently he went up onto the porch because the guys in the truck can see the light-up Santa Claus levitate and start to move across the porch. Only it stopped, and then it went back and jerked and because it was plugged in, and it was plugged in inside the house. And then the light-up Santa Claus went out, and we hear an exclamation coming from the house, and lights start coming on in the house, and we hear this large, it sounded like the size of a tanker truck, dog start to bark. And out of the darkness, my best friend Chris appears, carrying the now unlit Santa, running as fast as he can. And on his heels is this dog that looks like it is straight out of a horror movie. I mean, it looked more like a rabid rhinoceros than a dog. It was an absolute demon. And, and Chris yells, Jason, help! <laughs> and he throws the now unlit Santa over the fence and reaches out with both hands for me to help him get over the fence and away from the dog. Y'all would be so proud. I caught Santa like Odell Beckham Jr., one-handed, while I was running backwards, and I tucked Santa under my arm, I leapt the ditch in a single stride and vaulted into the back of the pickup truck without ever touching the, the bed of the truck, leaving my best friend since first grade 
on his own to get over the fence and away from the hellhound that was coming after him. Not my finest hour for a lot of reasons. So in that moment, whenever my friend was desperate for some help, I took care of myself and the unlit Santa first. And thankfully, Chris was adequately motivated to get over the fence and away from Cujo, the eater of foolish high school boys. And for the record, we did take the Santa back. We did take it back, but we threw it over the fence instead of putting it back on the porch. And we were really proud of ourselves for how honorable we were. We got into so much trouble. If Chris and I got together tomorrow, chances are that story would be told. And we would laugh about it now, but Chris wasn't very happy with me back in December of 1989. And that's just one example of my selfishness and how quickly I can put myself ahead of others, even whenever it's people that I really care about. Don't judge me. Because I'm not the only one. All of us can be just a little bit self-centered. By nature, we are selfish people. I mean, just think about it. No one has to teach a two-year-old how to be selfish. Have you ever seen someone sit down with a two-year-old? Or have you ever done this in your own home, those of you that have children, and taught him how to be selfish? Okay, sweetie. Today, mommy's going to teach you how to be selfish. So whenever mommy gives you the ball and asks for it back, don't give it to mommy. Even if mommy cries, all you need to say is mine as loud as you can. And if you do it right, mommy will give you a red popsicle. We don't have to teach them that. That's never happened in the history of the world. You know why? Because we don't have to be taught how to be selfish. We're really good at looking looking out for number one all on our own. Not only do we have our innate sinful desires working against us, but what we see in our culture reinforces and affirms our self-centered tendencies. So here's a key question for today. And it's something that I hope that you'll keep asking yourself after this lesson. What would Jesus eat? What would Jesus eat? I was born in December of 1973. I know, dinosauric. And interestingly enough, that was also the time of this major cultural shift. Because you see, for decades, if you wanted a hamburger, especially a hamburger from a fast food restaurant... It would come to you however that restaurant prepared its burgers. You don't like the tomatoes? Pick them off yourself. You want mustard instead of mayonnaise? You can scrape off the mayonnaise as best you can and squirt mustard on it if you want to. McDonald's even had a song about it. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion on a sesame seed bun. Anybody? There's like one non-Pentecostal person in here. Okay, there we go. There's a few more. So if you don't like the special sauce on the Big Mac, order a quarter pounder. But that's how it comes. You don't want a sesame seed bun because they get stuck in your teeth? Then order a plain cheeseburger. The song told you what you were getting. 
So if you didn't want it that way, then don't order the Big Mac. Order something else. Then something amazing happened. Burger King changed the rules. In a move that absolutely rocked the fast food world at that time, Burger King said, you can have it. Ha! See? You got it. You can have it your way. And that was crazy back then. It was, it was your burger. I mean, you had options for how you wanted your burger. You could have it how you want it. Burger King even came up with their own song. Y'all are going to hate me so much for this right now, but I don't even care. Check this out, circa 1974. Yeah. You know, one of the things that strikes me about this, Julia mentioned it yesterday whenever I showed it to her, how long that commercial is. That is a long commercial. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve you your way. Have it your way, have it your way at Burger King. See, there, there was a new sheriff in town. You deserve it. You're worth it. You get what you want. Enjoy it your way. I mean, and Burger King nailed it. Now, hang with me. According to Jesus, life is not all about us. Yet everything in culture, even the cheesy 1974 Burger King commercial, tells us that it is. We are obsessed with self. Selfie, duck face, right? And Jesus had some pretty direct words for people that wanted to follow him. He said in Matthew 16, 24, this is what he said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We're not called to celebrate or promote or advance ourselves. We are called to deny ourselves. We are called to pick up our cross. We are called to suffer through not having everything our way and to die to selfish tendencies to the point that we're okay with God letting him have things his way boy y'all are loving this aren't you God wants us to have it his way and we're not just talking about burgers so what would Jesus eat Jesus made a statement one time that should make all of us pause just a little bit in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my food, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Wow. My food 
is to serve God. My food is to please him. My food is to complete the assignment that God sent me to do. My food is to do the will of my father and finish his work. That's a, that's a different kind of nourishment than what we're used to filling ourselves up on. So whenever people get around us and like, man, get all you can. You deserve it, dude. Get, get yours. It's all about you. Remember that God wants us to contribute rather than consume. And so whenever all of culture says, fill yourself, fill yourself your way, God tells us, mm, I want you to fill others. God did not create us to be takers. He made us to be givers. And while at first being a giver might make it seem like we're not getting as much, because we're typically really worried about that, especially if it looks like somebody else is getting more stuff than we get, or if we feel like we're not getting our fair share. Well, I put my time in. I paid the price. I did. How entitled does it sound to say my fair share? Whenever we really, whenever we give our lives away, folks, what we discover is this this counterintuitive paradoxical truth that whenever we give our lives, we find them. I've been guilty before of saying that the kingdom of God is upside down, you know, because the last shall be first, the first shall be last. And in order to give your life, you have to, or in order to find your life, you have to give it. I've decided that's wrong. The kingdom of God is not right side, or it's not upside down, it's right side up. We're upside down. This culture is upside down. Jesus is trying to get us back to being right side up. And what he's telling us is, if you want to find your life, you have to give it. And whenever you serve others, then you're really serving me. And whenever you stop obsessing over what you want, then you're going to find what it is you really need. That's what Jesus ate. And that's what he wants us to eat. That's how he wants us to be nourished. And that kind of spiritual food is way better, way better than anything else that we can have our way. So here's your big idea for the day, for those of you taking notes, because Jesus likes it when you do that. Here's the big idea. Serving isn't something that we do. A servant is who we are called to be. Different focus, isn't it? In John chapter 13, is one of the most beautiful examples of service found in Scripture. And it's in the hours before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And this is what it says. It's a little lengthy, but, but hang with me, because context matters. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he... Did y'all catch that? Jesus knew that the Father had already given him authority over everything. Context matters. And that he had come from God and would return to God. So, he said, you guys come over here and wash my feet. Fix me a sandwich. 
Mm-mm. This one who had authority over everything, it says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said unto him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. And no, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, I love Peter. Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has been bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? Do you guys get it? Do you understand what this is about? You call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You call me Lord and Master, and you're right, because that's who I am. So if I'm willing to wash your feet, then you should be willing to wash each other's feet. You should be. If I'm willing to serve, you should be willing to serve. Jesus was willing to do something for the disciples that they were not willing to do even for each other. So Jesus said, this is messed up. i got to try to get this across to you guys one more time. Watch this. And it gives new meaning to something that Jesus had said earlier in a different setting. In Matthew 23, 11, whenever he said, the greatest among you will be, will be, will be your servant. Not the greatest among you will serve you. Not the greatest among you will do service sometimes. No, the greatest among you will be your servant. It's an identity shift. Service isn't something that we do. Being a servant is who we're called to be. We're not made to be spiritual consumers. God calls us to be spiritual contributors. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. And we exist for the world and we exist for each other. So whenever my mind shifts from being a spiritual consumer, it's all about me, what I want, what I get, what I prefer, what I expect. Whenever my mind shifts away from that, being a consumer to becoming a spiritual contributor, then everything else changes. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to love people. I exist to make a difference. God created me to be a blessing to others. God made me a certain way to fill a certain role to be a certain type of servant. My food is to do the will and finish the work of the one who sent me. And when we stop serving because it's the right thing to do and instead start seeing ourselves as servants, that's the moment whenever we die just a little bit to ourselves. And Christ is free to live through us to bless others. Now here's a fun question to ask yourself. Am I more of a spiritual 
consumer or a contributor. Chew on that one for a little while today. When you think about church, how would you rate yourself? Where would you put yourself on that scale? Spiritual consumer on one end, spiritual contributor on the other. Where are you? Do you drop your kids off at the nursery without ever serving there? Eat a free donut or two, drink a free cup of coffee, sit in a seat that someone else paid for at some point, enjoy the singing, enjoy the preaching, then pick your kids up and go home? If so, then you're a consumer. On the other hand, do you use your gifts to make a difference? Do you invite people to church? Do you pray faithfully? Do you tithe consistently? Do you look for ways to serve? If so, then you're more of a contributor. I'm not trying to be harsh. I love y'all. I want y'all to come back. I'm just trying to get you to be honest with yourself. Because here's the deal. If you're using your life to be a blessing to others today, then later on you're going to relish the stories that God will allow you to tell. But if you're more focused on self-service than you are serving others, then you're going to end up with more blank pages than you anticipated or ever wanted. You're going to end up with lost blessings. And the only way you can find them is by contributing to what God created you to give to the world. So we're almost out of time, and I want to conclude by getting back to our text. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're called to serve Him and to serve other people in His name. God never meant for the word church to refer to a building. He never meant for the word church to refer to what we do on Sundays between 9 a.m. and 1 o'clock, depending on how long Murph preaches. He meant it to refer to a group of people. We don't go to church. We are the church. And since we are the church, God wants us to serve Him. He wants us to use our gifts to strengthen His body, which is the church. In Romans 12, Paul tells the Roman Christians, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So let me tell you what that means in Jason E's. What that means in Jason E's is that you're wired to do certain things that other people can't do to the glory of God as a blessing to other people. Paul listed seven things in Romans. And then there are other gifts listed in other places throughout the Bible. But in Romans here, he lists seven things. He says, so if God's given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. And if, give, if it's giving, then give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, then take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. No matter what your gift, God has given it to you, not just to make your life better, but to serve Him and others in the church. God wants to do more in you and through you. His church is a body, and every member, every part is important. So if you're part of a church and you're not serving, then something that God wants accomplished isn't getting done. If you're a part of a church and you're not serving, then that means something that God wants accomplished isn't getting done. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. You can't tell me God isn't in some of this stuff because this was from a devotional that I started reading today. This is what it says. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I need you to help me grow. And whether y'all like it or not, you need me to help you grow because we're all a part of the body. Pastor touched on this Wednesday night. Toward the end of his lesson Wednesday night, he started talking about works. And he said that we're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. And not just good works in the church, but good works as the church. So yes, we do have the honor of serving and strengthening each other. But our most important ministry doesn't happen inside the walls of this church building. Our most important ministry happens as we are the church, sharing His light to a very desperate and needy world. So that the end of his example of servanthood in John 13, this is what Jesus said. And this is in verses 34 and 35 of John 13. Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What's the proof? What's the proof? How you love each other. Prove to the world that I'm real. Prove to those who are desperate to know that real love exists by loving each other the same way that I've loved you. And how did he love? He served. He became the ultimate service and drank the full cup of suffering to serve me. Look, no one intends to be a greedy and selfish person. Nobody intends it. But we all tend to justify our own selfish decisions at some point. But the choices that we make about serving others help us to take the focus off of ourselves and see the needs of the people around us. So you get to decide right now what your story is going to be. Both the one you tell and the one that's told about you. You get to decide. And you can have it your way, or you can have it his way. The choice is yours, and the choice is mine. But here's what I think. I think the story that you're going to enjoy telling the most is the one where you talk about the things that really matter. The story that you'll love to tell is the one about the time you helped someone else. The story that you'll love to tell is the one where you talk about how you were working together with someone to accomplish something for the kingdom. Whenever you made a difference for somebody, whenever you were a blessing to someone, whenever you were focused on others, I bet that's going to be the best parts of your story. So whenever you were focused on others and helping somebody else, whenever you served. The moments when you choose to serve others and to put their needs first is going to determine the kind of story that you tell tomorrow. Seven decisions that will change your life. Start, stop, stay, go. Connect, trust, serve.
serve. Next week, I am so excited. We're going to hear from Casey Watley next week. I've had her, her schedule is so packed. I had to get her on the calendar in January. I have a lot of respect for Casey Watley, and every time I've heard her, I've been impressed with her communicative ability, but also with the anointing that she carries. So I'm really looking forward to hearing that, and I encourage all of you to be here next week to hear her. So let's pray. Lord, I'm trying to be a better servant. I really am. Um, Sometimes, just between you and me and the people in this room, I have to force myself to get the focus off of what I want and what others need. I'm really good at protecting my way. Lord, I need to be better at doing it your way. Lord, help me to keep in mind where real nourishment comes from. That the food that I really need is to do the will and the work of the one who sent me. Lord, help us all to focus in on not just doing service, but being servants, being what you called us to be. And let there be an identity shift, a paradigm change in our minds. Lord, I'm not just going to church. I'm not just doing stuff in the kingdom. But I am the church. And I am your servant. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we'll hear today. Lord, let your work be completed in us and through us in Jesus.